Hi there, and welcome to another episode of It's All Speechy. Um, I am Natalie Rosine, and I am sitting down with you to talk about speech pathology and just the world and profession that is involved in speech pathology. Uh, we're going to embrace the broadness of the career path and the different paths that people are taking within our field. Um, and we're going to kind of talk about five things. So what is speech pathology? How do I become a speech pathologist? Where can I work as a speech pathologist? How, who do I help as a speech pathologist? And how can I advocate for the field of speech pathology? So number one, what is speech pathology? Well, speech language pathologists, we work to prevent, assess, diagnose, and treat speech, language, social communication, cognitive communication, and swallowing disorders in children and adults. That definition came directly from the ASHA website, and I will post a link of that in the notes as well. Um, if you want to learn more about it, there's a lot more information on that site. Um, but we are here to evaluate and diagnose those speech, language, and swallowing disorders. We uh, will treat those disorders as well. And we also will work collaboratively and provide training and education to the family and caregivers of our patients or clientele, as well as other professionals in other disciplines. Um, that might be occupational therapy, physical therapy, the audiologists, pediatricians, ENTs, dentists, um, really anything music therapists sometimes you'll work with. And we just kind of work with everybody um, that might be on the caseload of the child. And we want to do our best to work collaboratively with those disciplines to help provide the best experience for these families. Um, now I kind of want to go into the demographics. So when you think of speech pathologists, like, who are we? What do the numbers look like? Um, the number of ASHA certified speech language pathologists, I am getting all of this information from an ASHA certified document that's about 17 pages long. It goes over all the details of speech pathologists as well as audiologists. Um, and the range is from 2000 to 2020. So all of these numbers are capping out at 2020. So obviously a lot has probably happened in the last two years, but this is kind of roughly where we're at. Uh, for SLPs, ASHA certified SLPs, we have had an increase of 120.2% over the last 20 years. So that means right now we have 188,143 ASHA certified SLPs. Now going over to the other side of ASHA, to the audiologists, uh, they've had less of an increase, only about 10.8% over the last 20 years, but they have a total of 13,727 total ASHA certified audiologists here in the United States. We are now going to go into the age of SLPs. Uh, this is again in 2020. We had about 29.4% of individuals with an ASHA membership. They were 35 years and younger, and that was followed by ages 35 to 44. So approximately 55% of SLPs that are ASHA certified are 44 years and younger, um, which is kind of a difference from 2000 when it was a little bit older. It was more like 35 to 54 made up the majority of SLPs. 
And now going into demographics of gender, we have in 2020, 96.3% of ASHA certified SLPs were female. Um, Unfortunately, that is up from 95% in 2000, so not a huge increase, but also that is a lot of females. Um, So that's only leaving about 3.7% of males in our profession. Um, Going over to the audiologist side, they do have a little bit more of a a male presence in the audiologists. They have 86.3% of audiologists are female, and that leaves about 13.7% are male. Now, going into race, uh, in 2020, we had 6.1% of ASHA individuals were Hispanic or Latino, and that was actually up 2.5% from 2001. And then 8.5% were American Indian or Alaska Native, Asian, Black or African American, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander, or multiracial. So that 8.5% was up from 5% in 2001. So not the biggest increase that we would like to see, especially with how the United States is currently changing and transforming. But I mean, it's still good to see that there is an increase, but it's definitely one area that we need to work on a little bit more. Um, now we're going to go into kind of how we're going to get there. So number two, how do you become an SLP? So first off, when you go to college, you will probably be getting a communication disorders degree. This is going to be a bachelor's of arts or sciences. You will do the four years. Um, or if you get the classes done earlier, you can obviously do it in two or three. But you have to do all the caseload to get your bachelor's. And once you do that, you are eligible to become an SLPA. So that will be like a speech therapist assistant. I will also have a link to this uh, in the notes of kind of what an SLPA does. But basically, you are on your own for like the treatment of the individuals, but everything else needs supervision. So when you do your treatment, you're going to go to the kiddos, go to the adults, whoever you're working with, um, do the treatment, write up the notes, and then you're going to send those notes over to the SLP that is mentoring you. And they will go over, check it all out, and sign off on them. Also, you can be present for assessments and you can provide some of the assessment. Uh, But this does have to be with an SLP present and monitoring, Um, and it's all up to the SLP that you're with, whether they want you to do kind of the background stuff and take notes or if they want you hands-on doing uh, the evaluation. Um, And meetings with families. Obviously, both the SLP and SLPA can be present for the meetings. Again, that is up to you and your supervisor to see what works best via calendar, via Whether you're in a school or a hospital, that might look different, but it is a good road to come in and be able to do the treatment with these individuals, which is sometimes kind of the best part of the job is being able to do the treatment and seeing the improvements. Um, Then once you get your bachelor's, you go off. If you want to continue going, you will go to your master's. So that will be another two years. Uh, Typically, it's going to be two fall, spring, summer years. It'll be clinical work uh, as well as classroom work. Personally, my second year 
was mostly clinical work with a little bit of class. And uh, that was super wonderful because it felt like you were in a full-time job and you just had like one or two classes to do on the side. And I absolutely loved it and was able to work at a restaurant on the side of that as well. But once you finish up doing those two years, like when you're getting to the end, you are going to be going off to do your CF. So that's going to be your clinical fellowship, which is quote unquote, like a resident year. And you're going to go in and you're going to have your own caseload. You are going to have like a CF SLP to add it to your name uh, once you pass the GRE and graduate. And you will be doing assessments and therapy on your own with an SLP mentor and supervisor with you. So you will do meetings with them. They'll be there for answering questions and just kind of going over different children you might have um, of different techniques you can use with them. So you will do that for about nine months is what they'll typically do. You'll get enough hours. And then once you finish that, you apply for your C's. So that is your certificate of clinical competence. Um, So then you become a CCC SLP. One thing I have recently learned, is it necessary to have your C's? I have learned that it is not necessary to have your C's. Uh, That is just a additional certificate through ASHA that you can add to your initials and practice with them, but they are not needed or mandatory to provide therapy. Um, The one thing that is needed and mandatory is getting your state license. So you will have to be licensed in every state that you practice. So let's say you go in and working from home is the best thing in the world to you and you just want to do teletherapy of the whole Midwest. You're like, okay, I live in Minnesota. Let me take everybody in. Um, You not only have to be licensed in Minnesota where you are performing the therapy and possibly taking clients, but you have to take a license for every other state you have clients in. So if you have clients in North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, Montana, like you need to be licensed in all of those states. So that is something to really look into as well, where if you have your C's, it doesn't matter what state you're in, um, you just have your C's and everybody can acknowledge that because it's from the national organization. Um, But I did post a link to that too about kind of what the C's are and why we have them. Um, They do obviously have perks through ASHA. You can get educational things from them. They're just making you more impressive (laughs) to everybody else because you do have a certificate of your clinical competence. And then after that, you can go into a clinical doctorate, a PhD, If you're wanting to go kind of that research route, I know there are people that just do their full-time clinical work that want that clinical doctorate to be able to have like a little bit of that research side, but it's not like dedicating their career to it. Um, Later on, I'm hoping to be talking with individuals uh, from both of these areas so that we can kind of learn like the process, what it looks like, how does it affect their career and kind of are there perks to getting that? Um, are there cons to getting it? So uh, hopefully those individuals will come up in the next coming weeks so we can learn a little bit more about those two different domains that I don't know anything about. I don't have a PhD. I don't have a clinical doctorate and I've done little research on it. So Hopefully, we can have some people here come and tell us a little bit more. Um, next, I want to go over 
where you can work. So you did great. You got your master's. You finished your clinical fellowship or even in your clinical fellowship. This is good to know um, of the different places that you can work, the different settings you can work in. So the great thing about speech is we're really broad. It can be good. It can be bad because it's very overwhelming. Um, but we can work with adults. We can work with high school kids. We can work with young kids. We can work with babies. Uh, we can work in colleges and universities. We can work in a private practice. We can own a private practice. Um, hospitals, inpatient, outpatients, you can be in either of those. You can work for a national or state um, association or agency. And I recently did that for early intervention. And you just learn a lot about how like the state functions in schools. Those schools can be private, public, as young as preschool, as high as preschool. You can go, I know, at least in my area, um, one of the schools could be like a juvenile detention facility. You can go there and perform these speech tasks and take on clients and patients and whatnot, uh, skilled nursing facilities, dementia care facilities, VA hospitals, early intervention. You can do home health care. So that can be with adults or going in with little kiddos. Um, you can do it all, basically. <laughs> um, you can also focus if you just want to focus on research. You can go the research path and uh, focus there. Um, there are also SLPs that I have recently talked to that don't even go into those routes full-time. They might do a little bit of those, but then they might do counseling and consultative services for other SLPs or for families. Um, there was one individual I was talking to, and she was helping with transitioning people from uh, like undergrad to grad school or even into undergrad, like keeping them on track and reading through their resumes and their cover letters and helping guide them through interviews if they might have them. Because um, it's a stressful period. I mean, if you put it into numbers, SLPs, we have 300 graduate school programs. Um, if you think of another occupation that has uh, really relevant programs as well, um, nursing. Nursing has 2,600 nursing programs. So it is a lot easier to get into one of those because there's just more of them than there is to get into these SLP programs, which is only 300. And you usually have like 20 to 25 people in each class as well. So that is probably about 1,000 kids that are going into the SLP graduate school programs each year, which is mind-blowing. Um, I can't even believe it. But there's another SLP that I ran across who did a lot of assessing and treating, um, especially of individuals with aphasia. And she kind of found a new calling. And she's like, you know what? I'm not going to do all this assessing and treating anymore. And I'm going to open this nonprofit where we're still going to work with individuals with aphasia, but we're going to be connecting them more. We're going to do more groups. We're going to provide more resources. And like, that's where we're going to put our time is creating all of this information for the individuals that are diagnosed with aphasia, as well as the families and providing that safe space. Um, and I just like find that incredible. And I will link uh, that in the notes as well. It's called Aphasia Project. And I believe they're based out of Florida. Um, 
and they're just phenomenal. So yeah, that is uh, where you can work kind of anywhere and everywhere. Um, that's going to kind of go into who are we going to work with? Uh, who are the individuals that are going to be receiving our services? And this list is very long, so bear with me. Um, individuals we can work with will uh, maybe diagnose with like a fluency disorder. So stuttering or cluttering. Um, they might also have difficulty with speech production, like motor planning and execution, which would be like your apraxia dysarthria. Um, articulation, whenever someone comes up and they're like, you help kids with their R's. And you're like, yes, I do. But I also work with every other letter of the alphabet. Um, that is articulation. And phonological is kind of those sounds grouped together. So you might have one kiddo that comes in and uh, he can say all of his sounds perfectly, but he drops all the sounds off in his words. And uh, that's called final consonant deletion, where they just kind of keep that first half of the word going and uh, they just rock and roll with it. So then they come in and you're like, okay, well, we're missing half a word here. Let's work on that. Um, we can also do language. So the spoken and written language, um, which will include your listening, processing, speaking, reading, writing, pragmatics. Uh, so pragmatics is kind of those social cues and how to use those with communication. Um, so you might be going over like, okay, here's how a conversation works, a question versus an answer. Here's how we can appropriately discuss something with someone like, moving our body towards them and just showing that we're attentively listening. I just saw on Instagram, there's an individual, an autistic individual that posted about eye contact. And that's kind of something that we would work on. But she's like, I'm autistic and eye contact makes me uncomfortable. So what I like to try to teach people is that as long as like we're moving our body, like showing in other ways that we're listening, like we don't have to make eye contact, which I think is a really important thing to remember too, is that some of these things aren't going to be for everybody. Um, and you just kind of have to work through what works best for each client or patient. We may also do pre-linguistic pre communication. So joint attention, like intentionality of communication and communicative signaling. So usually all of that is before they're speaking any words. Uh, paralinguistic communication. So those nonverbals, the gestures, the signs, the body language, and literacy, the reading, writing, and spelling uh, is also a part of our scope of practice. Um, cognition, attention, memory, problem solving, executive functioning, that's all within our scope. Voice, doing phonation quality, pitch, loudness, that is also within our scope if you would like. Uh, resonance kind of goes into that, the hypernasality and the hyponasality. So if you think of like Janice from Friends or Fran Fine from The Nanny, um, that will be what we can work on as well if the individual chooses. There's sometimes like those individuals, they're just kind of living with it and they're embracing it. And that's great. Um, there's others that those occur because of a health disorder or because of a surgery or like it's atypical and any manner or maybe they don't like it and they're just like you know like this is making it really hard because I talk on phones for a living and people can't understand me that's where we would come in to help support them 
Uh, feeding and swallowing, we also do. So we can do that with adults or pediatrics. Uh, we can go into the NICU to work on bottle feeding and oral motor movements. We can go into nursing homes and work with adults, and that's going to be more safety awareness. So we're giving them the foods that are, more, that are safe for them to take in. So that can be maybe they'll eat regular food, but they have to have a thickened liquid because they can't control the liquid when it gets in their mouth. So it has to be a little thicker. Maybe they choke on pieces of meat. So we have to go towards the puree foods um, just so that they can be safer when they eat. So that's mostly adults. Children, you're mostly going to see maybe like an increase in the variety of foods they're eating, increase in the nutrition of what they're eating, because you'll come across a lot of kids that will only eat one brand of chicken nuggets, or they only eat chicken nuggets and nothing else. Uh, so then you can come to us and OT. They do it as well. We team together and work on those things to help increase the amounts of food that the kiddos are eating for nutrition's sake. And obviously, these things can be done at any age, but that's typically what you'll see at each of those ages. Um, we'll also do auditory habilitation and rehabilitation. So that's going to be speech, language, communication, and listening skills that are impacted by hearing loss and deafness. Um, and we'll also do like auditory processing. Some etiologies of communication swallowing disorders include neonatal problems, uh, the NICU babies, developmental disabilities, so specific language impairment, autism spectrum disorder, dyslexia, learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder, um, and disorders of aerodigestive tract function, so tracheostomy, irritable larynx, chronic cough. We'll see it. those individuals as well. Oral anomalies, so your cleft lip and palate, dental malclusion, macroglossia, oral motor dysfunction, um, respiratory patterns and compromise, so the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease we will see as well, uh, pharyngeal anomalies, so an upper airway obstruction, velopharyngeal insufficiency or incompetence, and laryngeal anomalies, so vocal fold pathology. We'll work there in tracheal stenosis. So any like stents that are put near the trach and the larynx, we'll work with as well. Uh, neurological disease and dysfunction, so TBI, cerebral palsy, dementia, Parkinson's, those are all examples. Uh, psychiatric disorder, psychosis and schizophrenia. Genetic disorders, Down syndrome, fragile X, uh, Rett syndrome, and also orofacial myofunctional disorders. So the lip and tongue resting position, chewing and chewing muscles, habitual open mouth posture and nasal breathing, orofacial habits, tethered oral tissues. Um, those are kind of a lot of the etiologies that we would work with. And elective services include transgender communication. So that can include like voice, verbal, and nonverbal communication. Uh, vocal hygiene, business communication, accent and dialect modification, and professional voice use. All of these things I just listed, it's not comprehensive. There's a ton more we can do. Um, that is just kind of the brief synopsis of what we're doing. And I'm also going to put a link. All of this is, again, coming from ASHA. I'm going to put a link to this document as well. 
And there's a lot more information about what speech pathology is, who we treat, how we treat, and what's important in our field. Uh, lastly, I want to talk about advocacy and like what we can do to help our field in academics and education, in advocating and educating, um, collaborating, all of those good things. So one thing is advising regulatory and legislative agencies about the continuum of care, just being very vocal about telehealth and telepractice, the use of technology, support personnel, and also practicing at the top of your license. Um, engage in decision-making at the local, state, and national levels. Just show that you have a voice to can affect access to services and funding for communication swallowing issues. Like Everybody has a voice. You, you might think it's small, but it can move in ripples and waves. And it's amazing just what one thing can do. Um, advocate at the local, state, and national levels for funding for services and education, as well as research. Um, Participate in associations and organizations. Uh, this can be local, this can be national, um, really anything to help advance the speech-language pathology profession. Um, promoting and marketing professional services. I think this is really, really important, especially after COVID, that it's really hard. Like We want, obviously want the business and we want to be successful ourselves, but we also have to know our limits and know that we can't help everybody. Um, you might have Sally down the road and she does really, really great work with literacy and you know nothing about literacy and you don't have the time to learn or you don't want to learn about that aspect. You can send those clients over to her instead of bringing them on yourself and working through all of that and struggling just send them her way. And maybe you like to focus more on feeding and she doesn't. Like she can send her feeding patients your way. I think there's such a great opportunity for private practices and hospitals and schools to all work alongside each other to give these kids and these adults and babies like all the care that they need and deserve to really improve their quality of life. Um, also, to help recruit and retain SLPs with diverse backgrounds and interests is huge for us right now, just because, uh, I mean, the United States is a melting pot. We all know that. There's a ton of languages. There's a ton of cultures. There's a lot of backgrounds um, that just makes us very diverse. And uh, like we talked about before, like, we are 96% white female. Like, there is... a very little difference within our profession and being able to increase that and increase the languages that are spoken and just increase the knowledge of how to work with these kiddos that are from a diverse background that might be different than yours or what you're aware of, um, I think is super important. Also collaborating on advocacy objectives with other professionals and colleagues is really big. Um, you want to meet those mutual goals. You want to collaborate with other therapies, with other professionals, with teachers, with parents. Because if you are doing one thing and you tell four others, like, hey, this is what we're working on, now that kid is getting your treatment in four different places. And it's just incredible to see the increase in their abilities when everybody Next is another big one, um, educating consumers about communication disorders and speech and language pathology services. 
Um, this is huge because there's a lot of people that are like, you're a speech pathologist? Like, what is that? What do you do? Um, or you see them and they're like, oh, you're a speech pathologist. You work on ours. And it's like, oh, yeah, but I do so much more than that. Like, <laughs> um, I think it's really hard to approach us in like the daily life because no one knows really what we do and what we work on and just being vocal about, hey, this is within my scope of practice. Like, let's talk about it. Or, oh, they're having difficulty with that. Well, I just did a CEU about that because that's within my scope of practice. Um, And just being able to educate people about who we are, what we do, and how we can help. Um, Also advocating for fair and equitable services for all individuals. Um, I think a big thing right now is going through the productivity rates um, and how they're increasing. They're, they can be as high as like 90, 92% productive, um, the productivity rate will be. And uh, it's insane. Like it's just not, it's very difficult because that is showing that these business models want you to be with your clients and patients for 90% of your workday. And uh, that's not taking into account the reports you're writing up, the notes you're writing up, you being able to like eat and use the bathroom and take a drink and collaborate with other professionals in the building and do your own research on a new disorder that came across your caseload. Like that is a lot to do in 10% of your workday. And even walking to and from different rooms, if you have five different floors, those minutes are all added into that 10%. And that just makes things really difficult. And it is not good for the SLPs and it's not good for the patients involved because the care is not going to be as good as it might be if we didn't have those restrictions. Um, So I think just advocating for that, being educational about what you are looking at, what you're reading, who you're talking to, um, and just be very intentional. And also with like school-based SLPs, being able to inform state education agencies as well as local school districts about your role and responsibilities. Um, A lot of people, when I worked in the school, I was kind of like off in a corner doing my thing. Didn't help that it was COVID, so everyone had their corners. Um, But yeah, I just kind of did my own thing. I didn't have really a great opportunity to collaborate with other people. Um, Again, COVID, not all of us were in the building at the same time, except for the last like two months of the school year. Um, But yeah, it was just very hard to sit down and talk with other people. And uh, meetings were really important for us. And I made sure that I was in on every meeting um, that was occurring regarding the child, especially if it was about their development because uh, I have just as much to say as the OT does. And I don't want anyone going through my reports and reading off what I wrote when I can go off the reports, read off what I wrote, and also expand on that and then be more educational than someone else who is just reading Um, and uh, not doing much more than that. Um, So yeah, those are kind of the big ways that I think, as well as I got some of these from ASHA as well, um, just that you can reach out and advocate for the profession and teach others about the profession. And if you're listening to this and you just learned everything you need to know about speech pathology and decide 
that you want to maybe try it out as, as a career and go into doing some volunteering or shadowing like that's great I wanted this to kind of be a quick snippet of who we are what we do um and just really really emphasize that we are a broad program we are not meant to know everything we're not meant to know everybody but we are meant to give our clients and our patients the best help they can get whether that be referring them out whether it be understanding places we can go as professionals to get this information to provide to the families. Um, All of that is super important. Um, But that's going to kind of wrap up today. Hopefully in the next couple weeks, you'll start to see some interviews popping up. Um, We're recording them as we speak. They're in production. So be sure to check those out. Uh, Also be sure to follow It's All Speechy on Instagram and Patreon. Uh, It's going to be under It's All Speechy. Reminder, Patreon is free for the next month or two, so go ask your questions. After that, it's going to be at least $1 a month, so ask all your questions. No matter how dumb you think they sound, they for sure are not dumb. Um, Anyone can learn anything from any question. And all of the research and information provided in this podcast will be available in the show notes, so be sure to check those out as well. Thanks for popping over to listen and follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to get notified of any upcoming episodes. I thank you all and I will talk with you real soon.